Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. So we're here with Gia Lin. She is a pleasure-focused author, educator, and coach. And she is the author of the book, On Blossoming. And we're really interested to talk to her today about some squishy subjects, how you can talk about sensuality, how you can talk about sexuality, and the three words that are really, really hard to say to teenagers, and what you can say instead if those words make you squirm, and uh, all kinds of other really, really fascinating topics. So can't wait to dive into that. Uh, Gia, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Okay, so you have written this book on blossoming. Yep, on blossoming. And so it kind of goes through, it's interesting mix of like things about kind of sex and the body and also kind of things about your upbringing. And you have like sort of a, a really interesting story. And so I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about how the book became that and uh, what that whole interesting journey is to get into this point. Oh, that's a really great question. I... I had a very uh, interesting process writing this book. I first decided I wanted to write it uh, with my sister when we were 12 and 13, when we were really in the in puberty ourselves, really feeling it. And because we were having really great open conversations with our mom and the people, like the adults in our lives. and. We had like a, we were homeschooled, so we had a weekly class. It was called the female body class. And that had actually started several years before that. But it was basically a time where we could talk about anything that we wanted to talk about, but specifically about, you know, changes we were noticing or, you know, she usually would, she had a book that she would read from. The book changed over the years, but it was just, it would introduce topics that we could ask questions about. And so my sister and I were like, we were pretty into it. I mean, particularly me, I was like, I was really wanted to have my first period and I wanted to have, you know, start experimenting. And I felt like, you know, very intrigued by all these things that were changing. Uh And so we were like, well, we should write this book. And so, you know, that, that went for a little while. And then fast forward, uh, a number of years, (laughs) I really had more perspective on the interesting, upbringing and how unusual it was because I grew up in an intentional community and so and they teach courses in uh, communication and relationships and so as an adult I really got to appreciate how unique that was and that it really gave me a unique perspective on um, really on puberty and how to raise teens and um, so I decided to pick the book back up and actually finish it this time and so I used my own experience because I wanted to create a more personal connection with the reader because I found a lot of sex ed books were, are, there's a lot of great ones out there, but they're a bit removed or like kind of more like, okay, you should do this or biological emphasis. Mm. And I was like, this is such a personal thing. Like we really want to, wanting to create a uh, more of a connection with the reader. So that was the foundation for the book. 
So what is an intentional community? Great question. So I think people use this term in different ways, but for me, uh, the intentional community is a, it's a group of people that have decided to live together. And that's the basic premise. And this community was founded on the idea that they wanted to live together to have the most fun possible. And so they wanted to, you know, research and sort of experiment, figure out the, the tools that it was going to take for them to have friendships and have the communication in place in order for them to actually live together in a sustainable way. They actually started the community over 30 years ago and they had, they were, you know, taking courses from another community that actually started in the 60s. So they got a lot of viewpoints and, you know, a foundation mm. from them. And so, you know, we've been going going strong for 35 years, 30 years, something like that. So uh, it's just a group of people living together, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, it's interesting and it's unique. And I feel like uh, um, it's, 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 it's in the book, there's a lot. Of, it sounds really cool, you know, like uh, it sounds like really open and um, kind of like a, a, a strong community, I guess, that um, it's funny because I feel like we kind of live in a world now where a lot of people like don't even know their neighbors or like, you know, we live kind of like near and around these people, but don't have like that strong kind of connection to them. And so it was it just really struck me reading the book that it was kind of like the opposite of that. It was like these really, really deep connections with the people around you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think that's really, you know, they realized early on that those kinds of connections, having those kinds of relationships was part of leading a happy life. So that's been part of our foundation. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. So can you tell me what the difference is between sensuality and sexuality? And what should we tell teenagers about that? I love this question because I think that these are two words that are used almost interchangeably. Sensuality is kind of like a euphemism for sex or sexuality. And I find them to be very different and a really important difference. And I think it really makes these conversations um, around sex or just around, you know, growing up a lot easier because talking about sex is really difficult for people <laughs> typically. Um, but so for me, I make a distinction between sensuality and sexuality where sexuality has to do with uh, reproduction. It's uh, our biological urges. That's about how we're all here because of a success, successful sexual act, right? <laughs> we, somewhere, somewhere, sex happened and we're here. <laughs> but sensuality for me has to do with the senses and has to do with no taking in the information that's mm. available to you every moment of your day. And that's a very basic definition, but it in a way is a foundation for a way of viewing the world or if you're taking in your you know being in present in the present moment living in present time when you are paying attention attention to your senses and so i use it for a foundation for the book because i 
throughout the book, that's actually one of the first chapters as I define the difference between sensuality and sexuality because it's sort of the premise that I build the book off of because yes, I do talk about sex in the book, but it's not the it's not the only thing. There's so many more things that we can learn about our bodies and about our surroundings that uh, if we, you know, train ourselves to pay attention to them, we have we lead much more rich and fulfilling lives. So I like that. It's pretty cool. It overlaps with mindfulness mm-hmm. a little bit, it seems seems like to me. Um, and it's interesting to think about how you could be sensual without being sexual and vice versa, how you could be sexual without being sensual at the same mm-hmm. time. So if you were going to have a, a conversation with your teenager about this issue, what do you think would be important to say? About the issue of sensuality? Yeah. Well... You know, one more thing about the, you know, the how I use the two terms differently is that it ties into um, a results-driven mindset, like a production-oriented mindset, which is one thing I talk about in the book, versus um, a pleasure-oriented mindset. And so, with the sexuality model, is a is a is typically a results-driven mindset, right? Because you want to have intercourse and you make the baby, right? That's like that kind of very basic urge. (laughs) And it looks different ways depending on your sexual orientation and all of these things. But it's, it's basically, you know, people talk a lot about this. There's, um, it's, it's when you're, you know, in the bedroom and you need to produce the climax or produce the, the, whatever the sex act that it is that you have all the focus on. So, um, so that's more of that production mindset, whereas uh, coming from a pleasure-oriented mindset, you're taking in everything and you're already having pleasure before you even are in the bedroom, right? You're conceptualizing it like, hmm, what, it, what do I want to do? Or, hmm, you know, gosh, my tea is so delicious and I'm just having such a good time right here in the moment. So you're already experiencing pleasure before you, if you are going to have a sex act or not. You're just already experiencing pleasure. So I think this is really important to talk to teens about because, boy, talk about, you know, being results driven or being, you know, feeling that kind of pressure to do certain things. There's so many, mm. um, you know, firsts that are usually happening around this time, like whether it's your first kiss or your first, you know, date or your first prom, whatever your thing is, your first period, you know, there's so many firsts. And I think that's a lot of the pressure that uh, teens and kids feel is like, oh, like, am I doing this at this at the right age that other people are? Am I like, am I normal? Am I, you know, am I not normal? Am I, is that good? Is that, you know, and I think that comes from feeling like, you know, oh, that same production oriented mindset, where as opposed to, you know, taking things in as they come, like, okay, you know, for example, I had a lot of pressure on myself about when I was going to have my first period. And that was like something that was way beyond my control, obviously. Mm. (laughs) So, you know, I think having those conversations about um, uh, having a pleasure-oriented mindset versus, you know, a production-oriented one is a really great foundation where you can kind of check in with, you know, your kid or whomever it is you're taking care of. Yeah, you have an interesting graph in your book that's like the graph of pleasure during sex. And it's like, uh, you know, the old model that kind of just like leads up to an, an orgasm. And um, then you kind of have suggest like a, this, this kind of new model, I guess, to go by. 
and um, there's kind of different aspects of it, but one of them is this thing called a DO date. So can you explain the DO date and um, how that works? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'm so glad you're asking me about this. Um, so the two different models is, you know, the first, the old, the model that we're all familiar with is the Masters and Johnson's model where there's like the, you know, you know, increase in excitement and plateau and then, you know, climax and those things. So it's like, it's, it's more of a, you know, a uh, steady increase in sensation and the sharp peak and then a sharp decrease in sensation where it kind of drops off and you usually um, start off lower in sensation than you did in the beginning. Like it kind of like it goes up and then goes way down. So that's great. There's that's that's fine. That's worked for a long time. And I think that a lot of that that model largely came out of the fact that they needed to research something and be able to like graph something <laughs> Because the reality <laughs> is, you know, as human beings, wow, our sensuality looks way, it can look way different. And there's so much more variance in how people experience orgasm. And so um, a big emphasis of the community that I've grown up in where they've been doing a lot of research about, you know, really the human potential for orgasm. And so this is a model that they um, have developed where it's more of a dome shape where you, you know, build sensation. Um, there's peaks where you kind of like have an increase in sensation, then maybe it goes down a little bit and then you go on another peak where it goes up and goes down. And then overall it creates this larger dome where you can, um, you can actually end the experience with having more sensation in your body than when you started. So it's really fun because it ties back into the not needing to have a, that producing kind of mindset where you need to produce that climax it's more of a you're enjoying each peak or each stroke or whatever this can actually be used in outside of a sexual situation too it's a it's a it's really a model for like approaching many things in your life but since we're talking about it in in, sure. in this setting but yeah so you can you know Really, it's more in that taking in your senses and taking in all of the sensory information that's available to you, as opposed to just focusing on that one climax. That's more like going to the symphony to hear the last note, as opposed to taking in the entire <laughs> symphony. So um, so a due date, uh, delivered orgasm, that's the D-O, is um, t it's related to that model where uh, in this, in the way that I talk about it in the book, it's where it's the you use your hands to stimulate the genitals, whether that's um, a vulva or a penis. And I, I talk about this form of sex because it's uh, very precise, because we have very, uh, our hands are agile. They give us so much information um, and it's, you can see, you can use your eyes to see what you're doing and what you're right. touching. And um, you can still communicate. So you can talk to your partner about, you can ask them questions. Would you like more pressure? Would you like less pressure? You know, and then the person um, that you're stimulating can answer. So it's a really great way to, um, to have sex, I think, because <laughs> you can really have the experience that you want to have. You can have those places touched that you really want to be touched without without the like kind of like yeah. okay you're in the dark and you're fumbling around and things like that um where you may or may not get what you want 
And so I think it ties in really well to um, the conversation that we're having about consent and about, um, you know, building positive relationships and things like that, because you're creating a, a foundation of communication through um, through doing or deliberate orgasm. Yeah, it strikes me that it's just like a, a really great practice, especially uh, when you're really like experimenting with sexuality, like uh, for teenagers especially. And so uh, I, it it makes me wonder how you said you kind of had uh, were already familiar with this concept because it was like a thing in your community that other people had talked about before. Like it's not something that you made up. Yeah. Do you do you want to know about the history of that? Yeah, I'm interested. Like how, and and how we could. Um, how it like was passed how it's passed along and how other parents could do the same thing like to to um just like expose their teenagers to the idea of it you know yeah well so i found i mean i knew about it in theory want to hear the full interview sign up for a subscription today you get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.